You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? On this episode of Mitch and Rich, we are going to talk about a little bit of news going around the movie Spectrum uh, and get into an article released this week uh, by Vanity Fair uh, about Zack Snyder and the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Then we are going to have our review or discussion, more uh, aptly, of Promising Young Woman, a movie that in our last recording we talked about is nominated for a Golden Globe uh, and uh, is, well, we'll get into what we thought of the movie. Uh, Richard, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, obviously, we took a little bit of a of a break there, but uh, we're back. We're back, we're back. now. And uh, once again, I don't know, I guess I should apologize to everyone listening because... Uh, I don't know. I feel like this is the third movie in a row that we've watched that uh, is dark. Oh, it's a very true. dark movie. I didn't think about that, but yeah, maybe it's because it's around like what would traditionally be Oscar time. So darker movies tend to get more of a play in the award season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be. I, I don't know if it was that or, or what happened, but yeah, I was thinking about it today and I was like, man, this is like the third movie in a row that I'm going to be like, I just feel unclean watching it, you know? Oh. Uh, so sorry to everyone that's uh, looking for uh, unicorns and uh, rainbow farts or whatever. I don't know. That is but, definitely uh, a good uh, description of just not feeling clean after watching the movie. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, we'll get into it. But, uh, of course, that's what we do here. But, yeah, I, I, I got to say, man, uh, the little things uh, to this. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> And whatever it was before that, I, I forget what the, there was another one before. Yeah, that, there was another one before, but I don't, I don't remember what it is at the moment. Uh, so, uh, but yeah. yes. So earlier last week, uh, Deadline reported that Adam Wingard, the director of The Guest, which is a movie we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Godzilla versus Kong, uh, would be co-writing and directing a remake of John Woo's action classic Face Off. Uh, however. Simon Barrett, uh, Wingard's writing partner, who is co-writing the new face-off project with him, shed a little light, uh, a little bit of light on this situation when the f- with the following tweet. Adam clarifying things a bit on Instagram. Face-off is a miraculous film. We would never attempt to directly recreate its magic, but we are very excited about what we have planned. Uh, and Adam Wingard's uh, Instagram says, I would never reimagine or remake Face Off. It's a perfect action movie. Simon Barrett are writing a direct sequel. Sequel being in all caps. Uh, you can get more about the story on Slash Film. Um, so, what do you think about a direct sequel to Face Off? Which is a movie I, I, I know that both of us enjoy a lot. Oh, yeah. No, uh... A huge fan. A, it's uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, John Woo, um, John Travolta. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's a, a very, very wonderful action movie. And uh, I, I, you know, I just want to be like, 
like he makes that weird noise when he's like wakes up from having his face taken <laughs> off and i hear it all the time every time i think of this movie i, I hear that little uh it's so great um i i guess i have a lot of questions like why do we need a direct sequel number one number two are we picking up i guess not right where we left off but probably some point in the future are we are we back to following caster troy like i well or, or archer i mean like are we you know where are we going with this I'm, I'm, I'm very interested it would have to be archer because caster troy is definitely dead at the end of that movie <laughs> or is he or is he? Maybe it was a double face-off. It was a double-cross <laughs> face-off. Maybe that wasn't him at all. Maybe that was his brother. He switched faces with his brother. See, that's a thing. Who knows? I mean, it's face-swapping technology. It could be anybody. Um, I guess, yeah, at, at, at that point, I trust me, I love the idea of direct sequels a lot more than I do uh, straight-up remakes. Yes. However, we have gotten sequels that are after 20 to 25 years that are just not good. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about this. However, if you did a thing where you had uh, Archer is like still as an FBI agent that goes undercover as Caster Troy often, like he leads, literally leads a double life because they still have the Caster Troy face. I think that would be pretty interesting. Just watching him like psychologically break down because <laughs> he can't figure out who he is between the two men. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, that would definitely be pretty interesting. And then, I mean, I guess the other option is, you know, maybe before he died, they put his face on ice or something like cryo froze his face. And so maybe there's people that don't know that Castro Troy's dead and, and you know, Sean Archer's got to go back. It, it was Sean Archer, right? Sean, Sean Archer's yeah. got to go. Yeah, he's got to go back undercover as, as Castro can Troy again. I don't know. I like your idea better, though, I think. Like, I mean, I, him just kind of, like, losing himself and, and taking this really dark, twisted thing of not knowing really who he is. I, I don't know. I think the psychology behind that's a lot more fascinating than just, ah, it was a double face-off, cross-off thing <laughs> where he's coming back to, you know, scare you again. Or maybe he's going undercover as someone. Else. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I just have so many questions as to what their strategy for this is. Yeah. Maybe I, it's his daughter this time. Maybe maybe the daughter's taking her face off. That, that's what I was going to say. I, I did hear a, a someone give a, give out a speculation theory of uh, what if, I believe the actress was Dominic Swain. Dominic Swain. Yeah. She, what if she has grown up to be a FBI agent also and knowing about the time that her father had to do this procedure, she has to do this procedure as well. And like, it's her story of how she's going to do a, a face swap with somebody. You know what's crazy about that is I had not heard of her in a very long time, and then I I showed up to work on set one day, and she was in the movie I was working on, and I was like, "What is happening?" I was like, "You were in Face Off. This is crazy." <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. You did tell me about that story. Yeah, uh, super weird. That's. I mean, that, I could I could see either story happening. Uh, in I'm I'm sure Adam Wingard because. We both enjoyed the guest quite a bit. I, you yeah. know that I'm I'm sure that he's going to create a, a good movie. I'm I'm also kind of glad that they 
are going the film route because that's kind of the other trend we've seen is that like we're gonna do a sequel instead of a remake but we're gonna do a sequel as a television series instead of a film so i'm kind of glad that they're just like let's self-contain this to like hour and a half maybe two hours and and let's not let's not try to make like a 10-hour epic out of out of the sequel like i i appreciate that approach i think i I, could be wrong but i mean i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't be opposed to a 10-hour epic but yes i think you're right i think cap like capping this off at two hours is the perfect sit for this type of movie yeah and you know the other i guess my other side note what this is is i mean like didn't they learn anything i mean from mission impossible i mean john woo did both and you know they could just make a mask they don't have to take their real faces off anymore <laughs> like we have the technology to just cover your face and well, make it look real at least the imf has that technology that's for sure yeah yeah true that's true uh okay speaking of remakes though I guess it's kind of it's more of a readaptation. Edgar Wright is going to direct a adaptation of Stephen King's The Running Man. Now, uh, I've never read the original The Running Man story by Stephen King at the time using the pseudonym Richard Bachman, but as I understand it, the character that Arnold plays, uh, Ben, do you remember? Uh, ben Richards. running, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the butcher of Bakersfield. Uh, he um he's not supposed to look anything like like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's just supposed to be like a sickly thin dude. Uh, obviously we get Arnold Schwarzenegger who is all muscles, and back in the eighties, like all all muscles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the idea that I'm sure. Edgar Wright is planning to stick a little closer to what was written in the book, not just for character, but for story-wise. I'm sure it went a bunch of different ways. Uh, What do you think of Edgar Wright's filming style for a movie like this? You know, I... I, Well, first off... um I love Arnold. Obviously, I think anyone that listens to this or or knows anything about me knows that I'm deeply, madly, infatuatedly in love with Arnold Schwarzenegger as a as a action hero. Uh, so I, I feel like you know, not trying to redo that is a, is a a very smart idea uh, because I think you would be pretty hard pressed to actually fill uh, that skin tight suit that he wears in this or his shoes whatever you want to call it (laughs) um so i think that a i think that's a really smart idea um the fact that i guess it kind of is potentially more in line with the the novelization i think also a very good way of of really because to a lot i mean this is a cult movie i i don't i don't think i'd call it an iconic film but I, i would certainly call it a very cult film like there's a lot of people that really love running man and so i think you're talking to one of them Right. Yeah. No, same. I'm, I'm one talking to one. Um, and I'm sure there's others listening, I hope. Uh, so I think, you know, trying to go in a completely different direction, uh, even if that is sticking more to the content of the novel, I think is a very smart choice personally. Um, is it going to be different? Uh, and is that maybe going to, hurt my opinions of it i I hope not but i mean maybe right i mean there might be that kind of connective tissue of 
missed. I mean, I, I was pretty young when I saw this, which probably is not the best movie to watch when you're young. But, uh, you know, it happened anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's. And again, I guess it's kind of interesting, too, because you would think uh, Stephen King novel, probably a huge book probably tons of additional details that were absolutely not in the uh, original film uh, adaptation in what, 87, 88? Um, yeah, 87. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we're probably going to get a lot of different dynamic information out of this maybe. I think, yeah, and, and I, I would definitely say that you're going to get a different feel altogether just i mean if you take a look at I, I i don't know if edgar wright's made a movie since baby driver but i think that's the last one that i saw i mean i'm a big fan of his work uh i mean if you take a look at something like that and you're gonna get that kind of frantic energy that he usually brings to his movies um i could i could see the movie being that way and in totally having a different feel than what we got from the eighties. Um, I know he's got that new movie that's, that was supposed to come out last year, but due to COVID didn't, uh, last night in Soho, I believe, or something like that. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of a horror movie for in South London kind of thing. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm all for it. And I think that it's going to be a, a good time. So, well, and again, I guess to, to go back, cause I kind of, I guess glazed over a little bit about your, your question with his film style. Um, I I've never read the book. Have you ever read the novel? I have not. Okay. So I, I don't really, all I really know is kind of what we know from the 87 Schwarzenegger film. And with that, I mean, there's this television dynamic. So it's, it's, it's like being broadcast to people watching it kind of like, I guess, death races you know right or right. uh that movie that uh oh what's his face uh, daniel ratcliffe did relatively recently oh guns akimbo yeah 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 so it's kind of like that where people are like logging in and, and placing bets on these people and stuff like that so uh, the one thing i could say about edgar wright is you know he has that kind of like uh shot style where he does kind of these really quick micro burst sequences um you know, like in Shaun of the Dead, where he's, you know, getting ready to leave. And it's like the close up of like the the jelly and the milk and like all that sort of stuff. I feel like there is inevitably kind of uh, a television-esque type thing to his editing like that. Like, I, I feel like it could lend the style of that to the world of the story, at least from what I know in terms of, you know, the Schwarzenegger film in 87. Mm. So I feel like there's that. Um and then the the last thing that I kind of had heard he was doing, other than the, the movie you mentioned, was I think he did a documentary uh, called The Sparks Brothers as well. Oh. Uh, I don't know much about it, but I think it was kind of like a musical-based documentary or something like that is is kind of what I recall. But uh, yeah, I think, I think, again, without, you know, kind of knowing anything about the novel, I think he is an interesting choice. And I think it's it's fascinating to him because I, you know, he obviously did Scott Pilgrim versus the world, uh, which would have been kind of a graphic novel adaptation. Uh, but I think most people kind of associate him more with his own body of work, like Shaun of the Dead and and The World's End and and Baby Driver and things like that. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um he lends himself better to his own material. So 
uh, the fact that he would be adapting this is going to be interesting. I mean, I, I assume it's going to be a lot of what we would have saw, not same material wise, but uh, just filming wise in his Ant-Man, like his original Ant-Man movie, his uh, MCU movie that was going to be Ant-Man. So do you think there's a chance, sorry to cut you off, uh, do you think there's a chance that uh, Ben Richards might be, uh, oh God, his name just totally Simon Pegg? Yeah, might be Simon Pegg and like Dynamo might be Nick Frost. I mean, there's definitely a chance that happens. I don't think it will. Like, I don't feel like Simon Pegg wants to be doing those action star roles at at this point. However, he is going to be doing more Mission Impossible movies. Uh, Hmm. And I don't want to talk for him. I I could definitely see that. However, I do want want to be one of the... um, what were they called? Stalkers? Um, mm-hmm. I, I would love it if Arnold showed up as one of the stalkers. Or even if he was oh. the, the security guard one, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would be that would be pretty... Honestly, yeah. Now that you're saying that, that, that would actually be pretty awesome if, if he came back and, and did one of those roles. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Be, that'd be cool. You know, honestly, I was thinking about this like one of my last times rewatching this movie with, within the last couple of years. I am super surprised, and I'm, I'm guessing this is why because whoever owns the film rights or TV rights to the to the property didn't was holding out for someone to remake the movie. But I'm surprised that no one made a reality competition show that was called The Running Man, and they just recreated the show that's in the movie the game show that's in the movie. Now, obviously you can't kill anybody, but they could recreate things and, you know, just like like Floor's Lava on Netflix. No one is actually dying in lava, but the what? idea <laughs> I know. Strange. But they uh, disappear though. They disappear. Completely like, where disappear. Do they, where did they go? <laughs> so, I'd just say I, I I'm surprised no one made it into a, a reality game show at this point, but this is probably why. I'm kind of surprised about that, and like I kind of feel like a little bit surprised that they didn't make it into a actual video game either. There's not even like an eight bit version that went along with this movie, like kind of video game. I don't know, maybe I kind of don't think so, but um, I mean, maybe there is, but I, I don't know. I feel like there isn't, but I could be wrong. That's that's cool. I mean, maybe when this movie this movie comes out, they will have a video game to go along with it. So Schwarzenegger should come back as Captain Freedom, which was uh, Jesse Ventura's character. <laughs> so he would be he the retired wear... stalker that is now announcer. Yeah, but and then he could wear like his original costume from the first movie because, like in this, like Ventura is wearing like very you know eighties like uh, I think it's like blue and red kind of like unitard uh, spandex right. thing. If I'm yeah. not mistaken, it's been a while since I've seen this, but that would be cool. If you know, the other, listening. The other thing that could be cool is just give him a bigger role and make him Killian, like the the host. Oh, make, make him the bad guy. All right, yeah, I'd be down with this too. I would be. Yeah, I would be. That'd be pretty cool. Have um, we really seen him as a villain? I can't really even think if we've ever seen him as a villain. I mean, the Terminator, the original, his original. Yeah, I mean, okay, I sort of. I mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. If you want to follow his programming, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess like pretty early in his career, but I mean, like, I don't think I've, I don't think we've seen him in anything 
relatively recent that he's no probably not in the last 30 years where he's been the villain what a missed opportunity i'd be terrified if that guy i mean he's got a a brand like the idea to keep himself the the good guy it's not movie i mean i assume i feel like hollywood back then was definitely different than hollywood now you know you got jude law now that can play both sides of of antagonist protagonist but like Arnold schwarzenegger was like no i'm the hero i'm the i'm the good guy i'm i'm the star of the of the movie that's true. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's- uh, and then uh, earlier this week, as I was, I was, I said earlier, Vanity Fair uh, did this whole expose on uh, Zack Snyder and the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League that will be coming out March 18th, I believe, on HBO Max. Um, and they also said that it was going to release worldwide the same day in theaters. Uh, in places where it will have uh, theaters and and stuff like that, um, but this is a very interesting article. It's by Anthony Brezenigan, Brezenikin, Bresnikin. There you go. Uh, and I I really like the way that this writer tackled the subject. There's no real to me. It doesn't really feel like there's a bias one way or the other. It's just kind of giving you facts and interviewing people. Um, it does go on to say things like, you know, currently Joss Whedon is under uh, scrutiny for his alleged uh, bad behavior on abusive behavior, sorry, on set of Justice League and uh, Buffy the Vampire and Slayer and stuff like stuff like that. Um, and it, they they have interview with uh, Zack Snyder, Deborah Snyder, um, Ray Fisher. And even Roland Emmerich is it Roland or Toby? Toby Emmerich, yeah, yeah the the head of Warner Brothers, and the just the idea of like what was going on at the after they finished they wrapped filming originally on Justice League, um, the unfortunate passing of Zach and Deborah's daughter Autumn, yeah. Uh, how they just walked away from the project um, when they just felt so much pressure from the studio to make changes and they just didn't really feel like fighting anymore with them uh, just because it, it, it what what did it matter in, in the scope of what had just happened to their family uh, this just was not a priority for them anymore and when Joss Whedon came in to uh, redo the film uh he claims it, it looks like it's about three quarters of the film is new stuff, you know, and, uh, Deborah as the executive producer of the movie did, had watched the, the screening of, of the, the film that went out on theaters told Zack Snyder not to, not to watch it. Like he, it would just hurt him too much. Uh, finally after, you know, the release, the Snyder cut campaign did enough, uh, publicity that the Warner Brothers or Warner Media more to it was like, hey, what, what about let's go ahead and give you give you the movie. Let's release your your movie. Uh, just give us you know what it, your rough cut that you have on your laptop. And he's like, no, uh, I won't do that. Like he he goes into like there's three things. He's like. Um, one that's going to get the internet off of your back. Two, it's going to make you guys look like a good guy. And three, if if it still ends up not looking, not being good because it's a rough cut, uh, 
you're just going to point to it and see, see, this is why we didn't want to release it kind of thing. So in the end, he got them to pay the 70 million for the reshoots, the reshoots that he needed to do and the, the special effects, visual effects that he needed to make this, the movie he wanted. He took no salary on it uh, so that he can get creative control of the movie and it's going to be released. Now, one of the things that is mentioned at the very end of the article is that he plans to have it released on HBO Max in 4 by 3 ratio. Now, let me see if I can find the exact quote about that so that I don't uh, misquote it. It's because he says... In what may be a divisive move, he's also presenting the movie in the boxy 4x3 format rather than widescreen so that one day it can be watched on IMAX screens. So, I, I mean, I guess that's the thing that I would ask to you. Like, what do you think about that? I I don't know. That still seems... Um, that still seems massively bizarre to me, honestly, because uh, I... I I mean, I don't even know how many people still even have a, a four by three television. I would imagine everyone now is in sixteen by nine. Um, y- you know, it, uh, it's a very weird, weird choice to me because, again, if 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 I ever had the chance, regardless of what it is, if I'm you know watching, uh, let's say Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? I love that movie. Okay, uh, I watched it three times in IMAX, and it was phenomenal. It, I, I have it at home. It's it, it's definitely not in four by three, but it's also not in IMAX. You know what I mean? Like it, even if it was in 4K or even if you had the best 8K resolution television uh or, you know, uh, 32 by 10 or 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 anything, it's not going to be the same experience that you're going to get in the IMAX. You're never going to be able to replicate that. Well, okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. More likely than not, you will never be able to re- to, to actually represent the IMAX experience in your own home, right? Right. right. So I I, just, I I don't know. Personally, I don't see any point of, of releasing it in 4x3, uh, especially when you're traversing murky water, right? Like, in some capacity, I would think that Snyder needs this to come out and still do well. Um, I think Warner Media needs this to come out and still do well. And I just don't see the point of why you would release this in a resolution that really hasn't been utilized in, well, not not utilized, but hasn't really been the standard format uh, or resolution format for probably, the, what, the last 20 years at this point? Um, maybe 98 Maybe a little bit over two. Well, I guess it'd be a little bit later than 98, but, but hypothetically we'll say 15 to 20 years, right? Like four by three really hasn't been overtly prominent for at least uh, that duration of time. So I just, I don't, I don't know to me. I, I don't really see the point in that, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, because you I, hate by four, a four by three. I know you. Like, even when people use it in movies as like a, a storytelling device or a cinematic language that they're creating, you're like, bah humbug, this is stupid. So I'm curious to hear what you think. I mean, you hit it right on the head. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't. It, to me, it's not a story. It's not even a storytelling element of the of the movie because. Uh, we know that he shot it in 16 by nine or, or whatever aspect ratio that it is, you know, that's not four by three. Um, 
and yeah, everybody that's going to be watching this on HBO Max, which is a streaming platform, is going to be watching this on a 16 by 9 television or a 16 by 9 phone. I guess on your iPads, which don't do 16 by 9, if I'm correct, right? They do 4 by 3? Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I know the iPads are a little weird because they kind of, uh, they're kind of morphing them in some capacities on some of the phones and some of the tablets. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's exactly true four by three. But I, like last, I had kind of looked at it. It also wasn't truly, you know, sixteen by nine either. And I mean, even then, the the iMac aspect ratio, if I'm not mistaken, is like one four three by one. Like it's it's totally different than even those. Like it has its own unique aspect ratio. So I mean, even doing that's what I'm saying. Like even if you were to release this in four K sixteen by nine it's still not the same experience that you would get. And I don't know what IMAX camera is using, but I mean, I would assume that it was probably like maybe 70 millimeter, 70 millimeter film stock or something like that. So it's kind of a really unique thing. And, and you're not, you're not even again, even if you release the highest resolution version of this possible, I think if you're a fan of this or somebody that's fought, you know, really hard to even get a Snyder cut, I feel like you're still going to go watch this in IMAX if it was ever an option. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I was going with the Blade Runner thing is like, I can watch it at home, but I can tell you if they were like, Hey, if it's, if I felt safe to go to movie theaters and they were like, Hey, we're releasing this IMAX. I would, I would absolutely be there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where I'm at as well. So, uh, all right. That's, I just, I just wanted to get that out there. Seeing as how, the Snyder cut of justice league has been a very big topic in the movie realm, the film realm, uh, for the last four years since, uh, justice league, justice league came out in 2017. Um, whether it existed or didn't exist, whether, you know, using this hashtag to, uh, pressure the studio to get make uh, make this movie happen is a good thing or a bad thing wherever you fall on the spectrum. It has been a topic of contention, so uh, I wanted to I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I guess the only thing I could think of is I mean I don't know it's I, I obviously I don't have a lot of experience with IMAX cameras, but from what I do recall, like I think they also do kind of shoot like vertically in a sense so it's like the imax 70 millimeter is is definitely not as wide as just standard like 70 millimeter film so i i don't know i i mean again i i'm trying to think of any reason that i could so i mean i guess technically maybe that could be closer to a four by three ratio in some aspects uh but it just seems bizarre to release it on a platform that you know most people are going to have a wider aspect ratio to to consume that content in uh so yeah i and and the other thing i was going to say is like when i was saying using it as like a storytelling device i meant like in other movies not in this specifically but like in stuff yeah stuff like um uh oh gosh Uh, yeah grand budapest hotel yeah it's showing like different timelines and things but but yeah it's very strange choice so some of the scenes that you are going to get to see, uh, as mentioned in this, is like um, the reintroduction of Iris Allen, 
played by Clemens, I believe her name is. I forget what her first name is, uh, which would be a love interest for Ezra Miller's Flash. Uh, you will get to see the the actual thing that they reshot or they shot for this uh, Snyder Cut would be is going to be Jared Leto's Joker, which you saw in the trailer if you watched the trailer. Um, one thing that he did talk about in this article that he tried to put into the original cut of the movie that never got filmed, but it was in the idea for his script that got shot down by the studio was going to be a love story between, uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane. So that after the death of Superman, the two of them would have grown closer together. And, uh, as he had to try and pull all these gods, godlike characters together to make a team, um, he would he would feel like oh, okay this is it i can do this if i can get all these people together if i can get all these godlike people together to help protect the world i can quit like i won't be needed anymore and i can live the, live out my life with her obviously then having to resurrect superman if you remember from the justice league movie that we did get uh which would cause conflict <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh that is a, that is a part of the movie that Warner Brothers did shoot down and said, no, you can't make that. And like I said, the the article does go into a whole bunch of stuff about uh, when Zach or Joss Whedon was brought in, you know, uh, the studio bringing in John Berg and Jeff Johns to quote unquote babysit him on set. uh, Zack Snyder being him. Uh, So it's a lot of information. It's a lot of interesting stuff. I, I've, I feel like I've said this a, a number of times on here, and, I, and I, I'm just going to say it again. I, I, obviously, I understand that the studios are putting up a, a, a very massive amount of, of money to make movies. Uh, and, and it's not to say that every single creative person on the planet should just be given 100% free reign or that they shouldn't have someone there that's representing the studio's interest. But at the end of the day, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, you're hiring someone to do this job. So you must have some degree of of faith in either their bankability or their ability to produce something. Why not just get out of the way and let them make the movie? You know what I mean? Like, obviously if there's egregious things that are happening, like someone's not showing up to set or, you know, it's a situation where the director's showing up like high out of their mind every day and like destroying sets or whatever. Like, and there's a, you know, clear cut thing that the movie's not going to get done. I mean, obviously there are circumstances, you know, that someone probably should quote unquote babysit and monitor the situation. But if it's someone who's, who's genuinely kind of showing up and doing the job, by the time you're already filming, the studio should know what the movie is. You know what I'm saying? Like you've done pre-production most of the time, especially on something that big, you've done a tremendous amount of, of pre-visualization. And really it's, it's, you're kind of at a, a stage of, of almost paint by numbers, you know, in, in a, in a kind of capacity, right? It, why not just get out of the way and let them make their movie? You know, like the only thing you've managed to do is waste even more money on this, make it worse, piss off a lot of fans uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it, I don't know. It's, it's tangential, but I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, if you're hiring somebody, why not trust in them and let them do what they do? You know? Yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier too, when I was reading this article and I'm like, you obviously saw something you, you, when you, you let him make 300, you let him make, uh, the Watchmen, you let him make, uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, the remake of the Dawn of the Dead, 
and these are all movies that did quite well, 300 probably being the the most, or maybe even Watchmen. Uh, all that being said, like you were like, okay, yeah, here, take our Warner Brothers DC Films uh, franchise and, and do what you want to do because we trust you. Now, I understand that, you know, maybe Man of Steel did not live up to what it was or what you were expecting. Batman v Superman got, you know, criticized to hell. Uh, and that's that's a lot where that like this all of a sudden they're shooting they're in the middle of filming Justice League and Batman v Superman doesn't do as nearly as well as they needed it to so they're like oh we need to second guess everything and bring in uh, people to to watch over him it's like I I get it like you're you're scared but you're already this far in you need to just let the creative person that you hired go like do it. Do do a thing, but but it is yeah. a lot of money they're putting on the line. I don't know. I I don't know where that line is, but I was definitely in on this on your side of being like you've already hired this creative person. Like you know they're not going to make a strange drug trip Justice League movie uh, where you know all of a sudden for no no apparent reason the Wicked Witch of the West shows up like kind of thing. So just let him finish it out. Well, and, and again, you know, I go I go back to even that because you kind of have to question, you know, how much of those movies are his movies? You know, I mean, even especially reading that article and, you know, there's a lot of and again, who knows? We'll, we, we'll never know, most likely. But, you know, I don't know. It's crazy because you look at like uh, Dawn of the Dead. You look at stuff like Watchmen uh, 300. Like it feels very coherent and very Snyder. And then you start getting into the DC movies and you're like, well, this has some Snyder elements, but it doesn't feel like they're his movies. And I, 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 I would guess that this has probably been just this ongoing battle from the beginning. And, and, you know, that's my thing is, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. You've brought them on. They're giving you a blueprint. You're signing off on it and, and producing this budget and all this stuff like get out of the way, you know, like get out of the way and go for the ride because really you're just muddying the waters and, and the situation obviously very clearly ended up being quite a bit worse. So the article also goes on to talk about, uh, Zack Snyder's other project that is going to be releasing here pretty soon. Netflix's army of the dead, which is a zombie casino army heist, uh, movie that has to do with aliens also. So, and how that's supposed to actually spawn a whole, uh, universe over on Netflix. Cause there's going to be other movies and animated series to go along with it, uh, eventually. So if you are interested in reading that whole thing, go over to vanityfair.com. All right, Richard, let's get into talking about promising young woman starring Carrie Mulligan. This movie, <laughs> it's not it's not a very it's not a light subject whatsoever. It's a very heavy subject, and it gets right into it. Uh, the first scene of the movie is uh, the character of Cassie, played by Carrie so- Carrie Mulligan, uh, appearing to be drunk in a bar as Jerry, played by Adam Brody, picks her up being the good guy that he is going to get her home, but then detours to his home and straight up, you know, begins to, to sexually assault her. 
uh, at that moment is when she uh, kind of breaks the fourth wall, kind of, I don't know, essentially cha- changes and, and we come to realize that she is not drunk at all. Uh, and he is then freaked out because at the time he thinks that he is going to be taking it. He's going to be raping some unconscious girl. Uh, and it's not the case. And now he is uh, uh, incredibly scared. We don't exactly know, know what happens after that. But the next thing we see is she's walking down the street and she's got blood on her hands. Well, yeah, you think it's, yeah, you, they, they definitely lead you to kind of question whether or not she, uh, just killed this guy. Um, you know, spoiler alert, you kind of find out that she doesn't. Uh, no. But yeah, she's walking down the street eating, uh, I think, a hot dog or something that's like leaking ketchup down her arm. And it looks very much like blood. She goes back to her house and uh, she has this notebook of... of, of uh, Names oh, what do you call and, them? And tally marks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's kind of like tallying up the number of people that she's potentially killed. I mean, because I fully thought, I was like, whoa. I was like, wow, we're just starting this movie off with this and then murder. And uh, wow, like this is crazy. I was like, we, I better buckle up because I don't know where the heck this movie's going over the course of the next uh, hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it definitely deals with some very, very strong subject matter. And, you know, going back to the, kind of what you're talking about, the opening scene, they did a really good job of kind of like illustrating Jerry as kind of this nice guy because he's sitting between these two very loud obnoxious men who are very much just berating women and and totally chastising them for you know just their appearances and all this sort of stuff and there's a a very well performed uh moment from jerry there or or adam brody where you kind of are getting the vibe that he's very put off by what these other two men are saying and uh then one of his friends that he's with or his coworkers or whatever that are at the bar kind of, you know, uh, sees Cassandra and is like, oh, uh, you know, there kind of ends up being this back and forth about who's going to go over there and who's going to try to initiate and stuff like that. And you're kind of like seeing his reaction. He's very he seems very off put by it. But then he's like he goes over to her and he's kind of like talking to her trying to help her find her phone and then you know he's like oh well i'll give you right home and you're kind of having a a brief moment uh of relief of thinking like okay well at least it's this guy who's gonna help her and not these two other douchebags that are clearly going to take advantage but then it totally you're like nope this guy's a piece of shit too like a complete piece of shit like a colostomy bag full of shit like he's just such a horrible human being and then uh, once again the t- like you said, the tables get flipped around on us, and and she very quickly is not inebriated or under any sort of influence, and and yeah, we're like, wow, she just totally murdered this guy, and I think you go a pretty good distance into the movie with the idea that she is killing these people, like that every Friday she's going out to a, a club and murdering a complete piece of shit that is pretending to be a nice guy. It's super fascinating. Yeah, uh, the next person that we do see is a character played by Christopher Mintz-Potts, um, who, you know, is sitting there, like, doing cocaine and, and trying to get her high and, and, and try to take advantage of her or rape her uh, until she turns it on, turns it off again, so to speak. And 
we I think this is the point where you kind of know, realize that she's not killing them like she is yeah. berating them and, and and making them see the error of their ways not that that's what she is intentionally doing like she just wants them to suffer just not going to the to the point of killing mm-hmm. um and we never get the full full story like we know that her friend Nina died uh not too long after she was raped at college or I'm sorry medical school and uh it was by a guy uh there who took advantage of her raped her while she was uh while she was drunk so i didn't I, I guess it wasn't until the end of the movie when we finally meet Al that it is it is the nice guy that she goes after all the time. The one that supposedly wouldn't take take advantage of you or rape you because they are doing the right thing most of the time, but in actuality they are the ones that do it. Because I think Al was supposed to be seen that way as well. Um obviously a rapist yeah uh, and i mean i think even the title of this if i recall correctly is kind of a play on that uh oh gosh that that uh, so that, uh that brock turner brock the, turner the raper, right yeah the rapist uh from stanford uh yeah the, i believe the judge called him a promising young man yeah yeah so even the title of this is uh you know kind of a play on that um yeah, I, I I don't know, man. It it is uh it's it it it's definitely a hard movie to watch. Like I think it it definitely tackles some some pretty, you know, unfortunately relevant topics. Um Yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's definitely just a difficult content matter to watch in the, in the film for sure, you know. Um and, and then- Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I was going to a little bit sidestep subject. So if you wanted to finish your thought. Oh, no, I was just going to start getting into um, uh, Bo Burnham's character because that that's kind of was the next thing where I was headed with that. But go ahead. Yeah, that's that, and that's the same thing. I was oh. going to go with that. The, you, you come to find out, you know, it's not just about the people the the men who who did the the act but also the, the tangential because we get into Allison Bree's character and Bo Burnham's character uh both who went to medical school with uh Cassie and Nina Nina and um Allison Bree's character who was essentially the person that Nina reported the or you know first reported by by com- not confessing but uh uh, reaching out to after her rape, you know, didn't believe her and then laughed at her and mocked her behind her back. Uh, we also, and then Bo Burnham, who at first we are introduced to him as a old friend from medical school that happens to come across, across Cassie at her, her place of work, uh, at a coffee shop. Um, like they start dating, he, the two of them start falling for each other. And then, you uh, the two stories of Alison Brie and Bo Burnham's characters come together because Alison Brie has a video of the rape happening at this party. Uh, and though Bo Burnham's character keeps saying that he wasn't there, he didn't know you can hear his voice on the camera because he was the one that was filming it. So he was 
definitely involved and a piece of shit. So the part in the middle of this movie, the second act of this movie where you think that, Oh, she is changing because she has now found love. And even Nina's mother said, you need to move on. Like you can't sit there and keep dwelling on, on what happened to Nina. Um, changes it it changes for the third act like the third act is where uh she's gonna go after al the rapist well yeah and you know i I guess one other thing that that i mean just my god just really i don't know the the scene in which she's meeting allison brie she's using her club tactics that she hunts these nice guys with where she's you know, goes in and gets like a giant thing of uh, champagne and like pours it in one glass, but then she's drinking ginger ale and she gets Alison Bree's character like completely annihilated, right? Um, and then kind of like you get this whole thing revealed that that Alison Bree's character, you know, obviously played a role in this, didn't take it serious, didn't listen to her, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then there's a scene of of Cassie leaving the restaurant or she's walking over to leave the restaurant and she hands a hotel room key to this guy and is like, that's her, you know, take her back to the room or whatever. And you're just like, Oh my God. Like you, you, it's just this utterly like horrifying moment of, of, you know, what, and and there's so many, like, I think, I, I, I don't know. I, I may, I'm trying to choose my words <laughs> carefully here, but I think there's like in terms of the of the story and the content, there's some really cleverly crafted moments to where you don't really know what's going on, and and your imagination of what's going to happen to that person makes the events so much worse than what you find out actually happened. And I wanted to kind of mention that because this is written and directed by Emerald uh, Fennell, I think is is her name. And uh, this is actually her directorial debut. And I think she did a really phenomenal job of, A, telling a story that it's exceptionally hard to watch because of the content, but doing it in a way that you're kind of really drawn into what is happening and what's going to continue to happen. And it's like, it's pulling you through the narrative, but it is leaving you with enough questions of where you're like, I really want to find out what's going on, what happened and what's going to happen, you know? And so I, I think that's pretty impressive for a kind of relatively newer filmmaker, if you will. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's her feature directorial debut she did have a right, short right uh and she's she's written a lot of episodes of killing eve uh the drifters uh and then she's also acted in a lot of things um and she was all she also has a cameo in the movie she is the youtube tutorial that is yes. showing cassie how to do the blowjob lips makeup um so it is very yeah you're you're right because we get the the whole we do get the scene later where carrie mulligan or cassie is telling allison Bree's character you know you you nothing happened i the guy was paid to just get you to the room and and sit there and make sure you didn't hurt yourself or you didn't get sick or anything like that um two more characters that we we are introduced to that uh are that played a role in nina's death uh 
in the the aftermath of her rape are uh the dean of the school, which is, uh, I forget what the name of the actress that plays her. Um, shoot. I'm sorry. Connie Britton. Connie, Connie Britton. Britton. Think, Thank you. Yes. Connie Britton, uh, Connie Britton. And then the lawyer that helped get Al off, so to speak. Um, yeah. Played by Alfred Molina. And what she does to, Connie Britton's character also like it it very much your mind goes to that dark place of like did she really do this to this young woman she essentially kidnaps Connie Britton's daughter who is a high school student and uh with telling her that hey I'm going to I'm a makeup artist I'm going to be doing the makeup for a uh boy band at this local cafe i don't know how to get there can you show me the way in a very you know you tell your kids don't get into vans with strangers like she jumps right into the car with a stranger because she had she thinks something good's about to happen and uh when she does when uh the connie Britton like calls the cell phone of her daughter and Cassie has the cell phone. She says, you know, uh, I put her in the same room that Nina got raped in. So uh, if you're okay with those boys in that room, then you shouldn't have anything to worry about kind of thing. Uh, We come to find out that she is just sitting in the cafe and nothing has happened to her. uh, Cassie would not do something like that. The next thing would be is the lawyer and played by Alfred Molina, who I think gives such a phenomenal performance in this. Not that he's ever not given a phenomenal performance, but he gives such a, and, and don't get me wrong, everybody in this movie, well, the main characters all give a great performance in this, especially Carrie Mulligan. Uh, but Alfred Molina gives such, such a strange and beautiful performance, like as this lawyer who is just fed up with his life of, um, defending these scumbags and helping them get away with the I'm assuming more rapes that they've done throughout their lives uh, waiting for whoever it is that was going to come after him to come after him. He even says everybody has to pay the piper at some point, which definitely is foreshadow for the end of this movie. Um, he, he, he says, you know, I'm, I, I'm here, I'm ready, whatever you, you need to do. And as Cassie leaves, there was a guy that she was going to pay to do something to, to Alfred Molina's character that we don't exactly know what now everybody else, nobody else got killed or hurt in any way, but I have no idea what she would have paid this guy to do. Do you have any speculation? You know, I I don't. And that's again, where I think this, this story is very, very well paced and very well uh, crafted is because you still don't really understand that there are going to be, kind of like i don't want to say not consequences but it's kind of like a use your imagination against you type of thing you know what i mean like she made dean walker like imagine the worst possible thing that could happen to her daughter even though her daughter was not in harm most likely i mean she could be because she was just randomly dropped off at 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 a diner somewhere so maybe i mean she could have been but more likely you know she's not in a a real prominent threat as you know obviously if she would have followed through with it maybe she would have been right right and so yeah it's kind of a very but i but as a viewer i i still don't think you really 
know that when you see this guy, like you just see this guy and you're like, ooh, that guy just looks like he was going to go in there and totally F this guy up in like the most brutal, grotesque way. But then you're right. When you sit here and you reflect upon it, you're like, well, she didn't really have anyone that kind of got these consequences actually enforced upon them. So I don't know. I don't know if he was just supposed to go in there and then like psychologically break this guy down. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I, I guess the morbid curiosity in me is like, I kind of want to know, but I think I'm better off not knowing. I think to so be too. Honest. I, I think I'm right there with you. I think we're better off not knowing like it, it in at this point, cause it could be, could have been anything. Um, yeah. finally, when she gets to the bachelor party of Al, uh, she is dressed as a stripper doctor, stripper nurse. She gets everybody at the party other than the groom drunk drugged uh so that they all pass out right away then they uh she handcuffs the the groom to be to the the bedpost and then reveals who she is and and why he is in now in the predicament that he's in and uh is about to start as she puts it use a scalpel to carve Nina's name into his body uh as she's going to do that, he breaks the handcuffs uh, to the headboard, at least one of them, and begins to not only smother, but like put his knee on her neck. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely do not think that that was not done purposely uh, by the director and, and kill her. Like she dies. This is not where I thought this movie was going. However, I did think early in the movie, like if she's not doing anything to like put these gentlemen down, what is stopping the one person who decides to hurt her to not hurt her kind of thing? Uh, So that's where this ends up. But as his best man uh, played by Max Greenfield helps him dispose of the body, uh, we come to find out that she also had this plan. Do you think this was the the ultimate plan, or you think this was a contingency plan? Um, I mean, I I think it's been something that you know she obviously fantasized a, a long time because I think that she knows that even if she went and killed him, that she probably would be the one that would get in trouble and it would overshadow kind of what happened to Nina. Um, I really feel like this was her ultimate plan because, you know, she arrives there, she takes the license plate off her car and throws it into the, into the like, uh, wooded area next to the, the house, which like the only reason you would really do that is, is because you're like pretty sure they're going to kill you and try to get rid of your body. And the thing is that at least if they get rid of the car, then your license plate, there's still some sort of evidence that you were there like she puts that handcuff on him and like he makes a comment about it and she's like, you'll get used to it. So it's like, it's, it really does see. And then all of the stuff where, you know, she had sent kind of the video and the other evidence to the lawyer that's now had, you know, over the years, a psychotic breakdown and a change of heart and all that stuff, uh, as well as the like scheduled text messages that go out to uh, Ryan, which is Bo Burnham's character. Uh, it, there's just too many things like that for me to think that that wasn't the ultimate game plan the entire time that she went there, because I think she truthfully knows that the only way 
that he's ever going to have actual consequences enforced upon him is if he kills her. And so I, I think she puts him in a place that she's not leaving him too many other options. Um, and I, you know, I think that's definitely her ultimate goal and plan from, from the get go of, of going out there, you know? So at, at his wedding, uh, he is arrested after the text messages and the package arrives to the lawyer, as you said, and the piece of the locket that it, that Gail has at the coffee shop, uh, all evidence pointing towards her body being destroyed or burned and, and it relating back to Al. So what did you take of those scheduled text messages to Bo Burnham's character? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think, um, I think he's going to, I think they're all going to get in trouble. You know what I mean? The video is going to come out. Like, I think they're inevitably going to kind of all face some sort of repercussion. And then, you know, he lied to the detective about not knowing where she was went, but clearly he knew that. And, you know, I think there's just enough evidence that he's also going to face some sort of repercussion. Uh, I don't know if it would necessarily be jail time at this point, because obviously he wasn't there when the murder happened. And, I would imagine that he was acquitted in the beginning of this, as was uh, Al Monroe, uh, you know. So, uh, well, all of them, apparently, that were involved were acquitted by... Um, well, I don't think it even the- made it that far. I, I think it was uh, told to go away kind of thing at the very beginning of the of the, of the the rape case kind of thing. Sure, yeah. So, you know, and that makes sense, too. Yeah. So I, I just kind of perceive it as that way, is that she's just tying up all these loose ends to make sure that all of these people face some sort of consequences for their actions that were, you know, not given any sort of uh, consequences to earlier in their lives, you know? So, uh, yes, and I, I, I agree with you uh, completely. Uh Speaking on the director side, as a uh, first-time feature film director, how how did you feel about the feel of this movie, the look of this movie, the editing, the pacing? Yeah, so uh, I, you know, it's it's weird because obviously there's there's such a dark content matter, and it's very easy to go kind of off the rails and push it to such an extreme that uh, you know an audience member doesn't want to continue watching. Um, I think it's balanced pretty well. Like I said earlier, you know, I think there's a lot of really smart and clever choices in terms of, of the pacing and when events happen and when information is revealed to the audience. Um, There's a lot of really interesting stylistic choices that, that I love. There's just something about the aesthetic of the film, uh, the way that it's filmed and captured. Uh, There's like, I'm assuming there were anamorphic lenses that were used, uh, in a lot of interior spaces that it's kind of a untraditional choice for that to be done. And, and it just kind of really forces you into this weird dynamic with the characters and their environment. And then of course the production design too. I mean, like when you're looking at, at at how Cassandra's parents house is like decorated and the choices that are made for that are, are very interesting. And, and, I don't know. I I like very kind of weird movies when it comes to those things. Like, um, you know, case in point, I guess would be something like Mandy or Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh, which again, this is obviously very different, but or even like Only God Forgives. 
there's just something about this movie that I love the way that it's captured, even though the content is making me feel completely disgusting. There's just something very like, at least for me in terms of like someone who really loves film and filmmaking and, and kind of really geeks out on, on those, you know, particular elements. Um, to me, there's just a lot of visually refreshing choices in the movie. And, and I, I was very impressed by that, especially for kind of a first time feature filmmaker. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed those elements for sure. I thought, I think uh, the fact that this is such a dark movie uh, with dark content and the juxtaposition of all the color that you do mm-hmm. see in this movie is something that is striking. Uh, it is, it did make me enjoy this movie more. Uh, I, I do love the direction that is given in this movie. I feel like everybody is so on point. There's not anything that is wasted. There's no wasted scenes. There's no, uh, fluff, so to speak in this movie. Um, everything is done for a very specific purpose uh, that I can notice. Uh, I, I'm sure every director does that and every movie that they make does that. Uh, but to me, some, a, a lot of times I feel like there's stuff that doesn't seem like it's in place. Um, and I that's think just that's me the attempt. The yes. That, that's the but, intent. But yes. I, but, I totally agree with you. I, 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 I don't think most people land that attempt, but, but I do think it, it, it's pretty damn near close to landing in this film for sure. Yeah. Uh, so j- just, Watching this movie, once again, like you said, at the beginning of this podcast uh, and for our last movie that we watched, it's like, I enjoyed this movie, but man, did I just feel gross. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even even I think some of the soundtrack choices, too, it's got kind of this very, like, interesting poppy type of soundtrack. I mean, there's like one part where uh, Toxic by Britney Spears is playing, but it's like a violin or or some sort of string-based orchestra instrument that is playing a cover of it and it's it's fucking haunting yes it's it's super hot like i was like it took me a a, a while to recognize that that was the song that was playing but when i recognized it, i was like this is i don't know i don't know for some reason there's that and then obviously of course there's all this horrible stuff that's going on with like britney spears and and that whole situation too with like her father and like the um conservatorship and all that sort of stuff uh, so I don't know if like knowing all that stuff like made that song that much worse for me or or what, but like I don't know. There's something very just unsettling about hearing that song presented in that way. But it, but again, it's unsettlingly beautiful at the same time. Like it's very weird juxtaposition all throughout all this movie. There's so many shots where um, Cassandra or Cassie is like almost being framed with these things behind her like these whether it's her headboard or there's like a shot in the coffee shop where there's like this art piece that's behind her and it kind of just is like these very like almost uh ethereal type of like uh angel wings that that kind of look like they're being presented so i yeah i i don't know it, it's i i think if you are someone who can take the content matter i think visually you'll also you know be rewarded if if you can stomach sitting through the the movie you know and and again i say stomach it but it's not you know it's not like human centipede uh, obviously but it's still very sensitive very difficult content matter that it i'm sure there are plenty of people that that can't sit and 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 watch this you know so i think if you can though 
uh, I do think you'll be rewarded with a, a very different uh, kind of fresh cinematic experience. I don't think you're going to feel good about it, but but I do think it's worth watching for sure. Uh, yes, I, and I think that I am most definitely looking forward to uh, whatever the next project Emerald Fennell does uh, as a director. So uh, that movie is available on VOD right now. Uh, you can check it out before the Golden Globes come out. It is $20 to rent, though, so be prepared for that. Yes, be prepared for that. Uh, it's also currently in theaters, too, so I think you can watch it in select theaters. Also, oh, okay. If, if you feel safe with them. If, yeah, if you feel safe. Uh, if you have an opinion on this movie or anything that we talked about earlier, uh, find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Richard, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can actually just head over to rycohen.com, R-I-C-O-W-N.com. And uh, I don't know if that actually is true. Can you say that that way? Like, isn't that, I think that might be copyrighted. You might want to bleep that out. I don't uh, know if that's Rico- like relevant anymore. Like, do, do people still know that commercial? I don't know. I don't know if it matters if it's relevant or not. I should just be <laughs> like, you could find me at rycohen.com. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's got to be fair use. I'm saying it like as a parody or something. There you go. It's probably probably fair use, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you can find all my social stuff on there for sure. Um, the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekleetmedia.com. Go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash media for exclusive material you can only get if you're one of our patrons. And whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so it helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.